in some words that are not far from Philippians 1. In fact, they're, they're in Philippians 2. I want you to hear this. This, this the message rendition, it really stirs me up. Let, 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 me, let me read it to you. Paul writing, if, if you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if His love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. I like that. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget about yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. We're here to think about community. Here in this university. Let's pray together. Oh God, You're the one who raised up this university on these banks of the St. Joseph River. How did that ancient line go? The summer is ended. The harvest is past. Almost. And the freshmen are nearly here. In this last moment of quiet, we have gathered as a community of learning. You're already here. You have been speaking to our minds and touching our hearts. Don't stop now through the, through the ancient word that we reflect upon. Call us. Cast a vision for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like to begin with a bit of controversial research. It came out this summer. I know, I know you've heard it from the New England uh, Journal of Medicine. Some new findings that have uh, stirred up reactions in the press, certainly. Put together by two researchers, a physician named Nicholas Christakis and a political scientist named James Fowler. So they've collaborated. They did this research, and the New England Journal of Medicine came out with the uh, report just a few weeks ago. And the reason it's controversial is because it's the, it, it's the kind of... Uh, well, it's what polite conversations don't spend a lot of time talking about. And here's the conclusion of their research. They, and I know you heard it. They decided and determined that, in fact, fat is contagious. Did you hear that? Yeah, you heard about that this summer. So anyway, the, the, the media, the news media have had a, a big uh, brouhaha over all of that. But I want to share with you, I was reading her column a couple weeks ago, Ellen Goodman. She's a syndicated columnist for the Boston Globe. And I read her now and then. I'm not always that uh, moved by her. But she did a delightful bit of segueing off of this new research. And I want to uh, read a line or two from, from this column. See what you think. Now she, makes, she, she describes the research and then she makes the, the summation again. The message was that fat is contagious. All right? Now, Christakis and Fowler did not use the word contagious in their paper, nor did they use the word blame, but crunching the numbers of a long-term study of people who, who live, she lives in Boston, who live in a suburb near me, and then she writes, yipes. 
they found that people were more likely to gain weight when a friend gains weight. All right? And most likely to upsize when a close mutual friend went up. Their point was that social networks counted a lot more than family or neighbors. So, you know, nobody's going to sit around the dinner table and talk about this. I understand. But then she, she, then she makes a segue. But if we can get past the, the friends make you fat tagline, there are some fascinating tidbits in this statistical buffet. And she weaves culinary phraseology all the way through. Consider the notion that people gain weight in tandem with friends even when they live far away. So it's not the, it's not the physical proximity that makes the difference. This led the researchers to conclude that the friendship factor was not just a matter of behavior. It wasn't just that birds of a feather chow down together or order dessert together. Rather, here's the, here she goes. The research, researchers speculate close friends fundamentally affect our point of view. They create a norm. Isn't that good? Let me put it on the screen for you. Take a look at that line again. Close friends fundamentally affect our point of view and they create a norm. And I thought about my close friends that I'm lucky to have. And I thought, you know, that's right. Quietly, but in their own uh, inimitable way, they, they have affected my perspective on life. And you know what? I'm glad. I, I'm the better for it. And so are you. Close friends fundamentally affect our point of view. Now, guys, by the way, uh, she notes from this research, this isn't only about, uh, this isn't a girl thing. This happens to us fellows as well. It should be noted, she goes on, that only friends of the same sex have this effect on each other. So whatever's happening to your spouse is not happening to you necessarily. But you, same gender. And one of the tantalizing hints of the research is that male friends may be quietly sizing each other up more than female friends do. So there, ladies. All that said, and then she comes back to it. All that said, I wonder, why exactly should we be surprised, let alone irate, that friendship is a factor? The fact is, the closest friends have something to do with the shape of our lives. Not only the shape of our bodies, but the shape of our lives. Let me put that on the screen for you. The closest friends have something to do with the shape of our lives. So maybe, that, maybe that, that is part and parcel of this business of seeking community wrapped up in the, in, in the forming of friendships. Friendships here that shape our lives. Perhaps that, what, that is what Paul is talking about here. In fact, if you want to follow along in your whatever translation you brought, I'm going to put the message back up on the screen. But open your Bible to uh, Philippians 2. Just... just uh, contemplate this with me, will you? If you didn't bring a Bible, pull out the Pew Bible. It's page 790 there. Here's from the message. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if His love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit, I like that, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, and, and uh, Peterson italicizes care, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. 
Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. You know what we need around here? No, true. We need, what we need is a front porch. I read a book that has really stirred up my thinking this summer. Written by Joseph R. Myers. Title of the book, The Search to Belong. Rethinking Intimacy, Community, and Small Groups. Now, here, here's Meyer's point. He said, we as Americans are a nation in search of a front porch. You think about it. You, just, you know when you drive through Berrien Springs? How many houses in our little community have front porches? The only ones. Isn't this true? The only ones are the old, old homesteads. With, you know, they kind of creak with, cent- with a century-old collection of memories. Only the old houses. Have the verandas. Isn't that right? I mean, you go out to our, where a lot of you live, these, these new developments. Anybody building front porches anymore? Nobody's building them. Meyer says, we are a nation now in search of a front porch. I mean, what good is a front porch, huh? Have you ever watched Andy Griffith, the Andy Griffith show? Huh? Ah, come on, don't you say Andy Griffith who? You know, you know. <laughs> Those reruns have been going forever. But, you know, I, I got to thinking, I'm wondering if the, and, and the students aren't here yet, but I wonder if the students know the Andy Griffith Show. So, my PowerPoint uh, man, the bioengineer, student, uh, a major here, just a sharp computer whiz, works for ITS, I think this, he's coming up on his junior year, and his name is Anthony Willis. He's up there in the uh, media mezzanine running the PowerPoint right now. So I said, I'm going to check it with Anthony. I said, Anthony, look it. You're a young man. Have you ever heard of the Andy Griffith show? He didn't say a word. He went... (whistles) So we whistled it together. And you know what? If the college students were here right now, we would whistle the whole thing. But this is the faculty. You've got to be... Proper. But the Andy Griffith Show. Uh, almost every scene in the Andy Griffith Show ended in that twilight moment when there was that uh, Sheriff Andy and his lovable, be-aproned Aunt B and red-headed Opie. Remember Opie? And then, of course, irascible, accident-prone Deputy Sheriff Barney. But they'd have that, la- they'd have that last moment of the show sitting on a front porch. I came across a piece by a guy named Scott Cook. I do like this for an essay title, The Cultural Significance of the American Front Porch. Let me read this to you. I'll put it up on the screen for you. The American Front Porch, what we're missing today, the American Front Porch further represented the ideal of community in America. For the front porch existed as a zone between the public and the private. It's true, isn't it? An area that could be shared between the sanctity of the home and the community outside. The front porch fostered a sense of community and neighborliness. In the evenings, as people moved outdoors, the porch served to connect individuals. The neighbors from next door might stop by one's house to sit on the porch and discuss both personal and community issues. A couple walking down the street might offer a passing hello as they passed house after house whose inhabitants rested outdoors, end quote. Hey, come on, guys. That's what America needs. huh? We need front porches again. That's Meyer's point. And in fact, I thought this was precious. He makes the observation that this generation, 
Our culture right, right now has actually designed a new front porch. We've got front porches in America. Yep. All through our suburbs, right to the heart of the downtown, across the nation, and they're now around the world. And these front porches have a name. I'll put it on the screen. You recognize the name? Let's put it on the screen. Come on, don't you, don't you pretend like, what, what Starbucks? Isn't that true? You think about it. Myers says, you know, the thing about Starbucks, he says, is that what it's providing for this generation and culture is something he calls median space. That's the in-between space. I have my intimate space. I have my private space. And by the way, next Sabbath, we'll talk about the four spaces that Edward T. Hall has identified that we all have. And we need to belong in these four spaces. I'll share that with you next Sabbath. But, but Myers is saying, we need this median space because I have my intimate space. That's my house. Very few people come into my house, only with my permission. And then I have this rough-and-tumble, work-a-day world of survival. That's my public space. But I need something in between. And the Starbucks... Front porches have become that, where, where we can connect socially and personally. It's not about this designer cardboard cup. It's about making connection. I think Myers is right. Come on, faculty. Isn't he? America is a nation seeking a front porch. I kind of think that's what Paul is writing about, don't you? I mean, if you've gotten anything, how's it go here in their message? If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ. If His love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. So here's the question. Come on. Think about this. How can we create some front porches around here, around this campus? Because we're thinking campus now. But I'm willing to think congregation. I'm willing to talk community. How can we create some new front porches around this place? For this deep-spirited kind of friendship to be able to foster and grow. When you think about Andrews University, isn't this true? Come on. Andrews University. We are a small but big university. I know we're not huge in terms of enrollment across the nation. But look, at how many schools are we? I didn't write this down. You've got to help me. How many schools are we? We are the College of Arts and Sciences, right? Okay. School of Education. I'm just going to kind of wander in my mind across campus. School of Education. School of Business. School of Technology. School of Architecture. Theological Seminary. Graduate School. Ruth Murdoch Elementary School. Andrews Academy. Did I leave any out? Yeah, it's nine schools. But we got thousands here who are from literally almost 100 nations. We got faculty, staff, and students, a very diverse population that makes Andrews University Andrews University. So here's the question How can we form community in a small but large university like this? Ever heard of John Wooden? You had to be a sports fan to know John Wooden. John Wooden, the winningest coach in college basketball. He used to coach the UCLA Bruins. You, you've heard of Wooden, haven't you? And uh, back 10 of the 12 years they went to the national championships, they won. Winningest coach. Somebody came to Wooden one day and said, Hey, coach, how is it that you can, how is it that you can form a team out of such a disparate bunch of young athletes? How do you do it? And Wooden responded. And I want you to think about the team you're on 
because I'm thinking about the team I'm on. Let's put Wooden on the screen here. All members of your team. All right. Are you a leader of a team? You a member of a team? All members of your team must know they're wanted, needed, and appreciated. And it's the leader's job. See, I'm thinking of my own team. And it's the leader's job to help them experience value through their experience of belonging. And then look at this punchline. Look at this, folks. We are many, but are we much? Boy, that's the title of our little sharing time this morning. We are many. Put that on the screen for you. We are many, but are we much? You see, isn't that that, uh, what Wooden is suggesting? Out of this, out of the manyness that we are, and I'm thinking Andrews University, God longs to release the muchness of our potential. And that muchness doesn't just happen because we're walking the sidewalks and passing each other. It's going to take this sense of belonging. It's going to take the gift of community to release that muchness. We are many, but are we much? So I repeat the question. How is it that we can form, you and I, intentionally together, form some uh, front porches around Andrews University. Let me close with sharing with you two or three suggestions that maybe your kindred spirit might pick up on. Just two or three of them. I I wanted to make all three of them come out of Paul's uh, uh, reflections here in uh, Philippians 2, but I couldn't make the first one. I can't make this first one. So, but, but here's number one. We'll make it number one anyway. Number one, we need front porch breaks around here. I went to, for part of my doctoral work, I went to Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena. And I'm telling you what, just like clockwork, mid-morning, boom, bells ring. You know where everybody goes? Not to the next class. Everybody heads to the commons. Space in the middle of that university. Faculty and students, all intermingling. Now, they, they, have, they have a strange name for it. They call it coffee break. But it's, it's, in, it's, it's integrated into their formal scheduling. And, and uh, colleagues interact. And what did it, it, it was great for me. I mean, C. Peter Wagner, one of the great writers of missiology. And I got to go up to him while he's eating a donut, you know, and I have a little O.J. And just to have that moment for interaction. I'm afraid. Now, please don't misunderstand me. But... I, I'm really afraid that we are so driven by our Adventist work ethic. They're like busy little bees. We just keep minding our own business straight until noon. And when that noon whistle goes off, bang, we're gone. There's no chance in the mid-morning for us to just drop everything and have a little front porch break. Now, look, I'm, I'm not suggesting that we open up a Starbucks franchise like Notre Dame University is doing. I'm not suggesting that at all. You know me well enough. But we can call it a posting break. (laughs) We just got to have a break. How could, number one, how could this front porch break become reality here at Andrews University? I'm going to give you a clue. I suppose if we got permission from the third floor. Huh? I wasn't looking at the president. I suppose if we got permission from the third floor. You know, all it would take would be a few deans. I see some deans here. It would just take a few deans, 
a couple of them, maybe if, uh, two or three department chairs, they put their heads together and say, you know what, let's do it. We've got to have front porch community in our, in our, in our department, in our, in our shared teams. What do you say? We, this particular 10-minute break, let's make it social. We'll do something special every day for our majors, for us. That's all it would take. You know, Myers is right. We are a nation. I want to rephrase uh, Myers. We are a university in search of a front porch. And so Paul can come along and say, hey, please, please. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if His love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. I told you earlier, I love that rendition. Be deep-spirited friends. Because that's number two. Okay, there's just three of these. There must be one of these that you can do to create front porches in your life. But number two, we need front porch friends around here. Front porch friends. I've got to read a story to you. Would you indulge me? Uh, Joseph Myers, he uh, describes when it, I think it was second grade or third grade. I'll, I'll see in just a moment. But he tells a, an incident. And I thought, this is so poignant. And our kids are going back to school. And you saw all these little cherubs up front here a moment ago. So let me read this in honor of all our, our uh, grade school teachers who are here. In the second grade, in the second grade, all right, I was John's best friend, although it was news to me. <laughs> I'm not sure how this happened. Mrs. King, our second grade teacher, gave us an assignment to write a report and read it to the class. The report was to be titled, Can You Guess Who My Best Friend Is? And Mrs. K Mrs. K King instructed us to begin with this question, but not to reveal the answer until the last, the very last sentence. Despite his... John, John, John did not have great social skills. What he did have was a hearing disorder. His hearing aids were not the, the almost invisible kind available today. On his belt, John wore a box with wires from the box running under his shirt to a device in and behind his ear. The only time this contraption worked to John's advantage was when he would turn his hearing aid down or off and take a nap right in front of the teacher. <laughs> Despite his disorder, listen to this, John always wore a smile. We classmates did try to warm up to John. I mean, he was very friendly, although he talked funny because he could not hear well. It was difficult for him to form words the rest of us could understand. It was painfully difficult both for John and for us. The day the reports were due. Got to turn them in today. John announced at first recess that he was going home with me after school. I hadn't invited him. At least I didn't recall that I had. John was smiling from ear to ear as he made his, his declaration. Have you asked your mom, I asked? I know I hadn't asked my mother, which was a breach of our family's friend etiquette. Yes, he replied exuberantly. Well, how are you going to get home? He struggled to explain that he would go home with me after school, eat supper with my family, which was not acquainted with him, and ride to the baseball game with us. His mother would pick him up after we slaughtered, as he put it, the other team. You see, John and I played on the same Little League team. It is probably more accurate to say I played and John watched. During the team warm-ups, John would throw with me. Most of my teammates ignored him. He was not very adept at throwing, and it was difficult to understand or converse with him. The coach was afraid to put him in, fearing he might get hurt due to his inability to hear. But John's mother wanted him to fit in, to belong. When it was time to present the reports, Mrs. King called us up in alphabetical order. 
John's surname slated him last. As he moved to the front of the room, the class grew tense. How would John do? Would he be able to understand it? Whom would he pick as his best friend? John struggled to shape words through his beaming smile. He could hardly wait to get to the last sentence so he could proudly announce to the world who his best friend was. He was not nervous. He had practiced hard to stand before us. The class understood about half of what John said, although it became clear that he would pick me. The entire length of his report kept looking at me. (laughs) I just love it. Can't you see it? And at one point, even smiling and pointing at me. And then he concluded, And my best friend is... Joe Myers. That was years ago. I had a question then. I have a question now. How did this happen without my knowledge? How could I be his best friend? Did this mean he had to become mine? You know, what? We have a few people like little John around this university, in our departments, in our classrooms, in the third floor, second floor, first floor, basement, I don't care where it is. We got people that are hungry for somebody to notice me. We're a very full congregation on Sabbath. Do you know there are people who come here and don't meet a soul? They go home and eat alone. Sabbath after Sabbath. I have no idea why they keep coming back. Next Sabbath, I'm going to share with you the results of a survey we did of this congregation. I'll share a few of those thoughts with you. You know what, ladies and gentlemen? We need front porch friends around here. I know our, our friendship circles are already too large. I can't, add a, I can't add two more strangers to this. Oh, yes, you can. Yes, you can. There's a John here. There's a little John here that would just love it if you could become his best friend. If you could become her friend. If you'd have room on your front porch, if you only would, for him to rock with you. Huh? See, we need, we need front porch breaks around here. We need front porch friends around here. And then I want to put it on the screen. This is the third. We also need around here. I'm looking at the monitor and I left out a quotation. It's so good, I'm going to mess up and go back to the quotation. Can I do that? That'd be okay? This this is just choice. Karen and I, when we have our worships together, uh, we've been reading a little book, maybe you never heard of it. It's called Sons and Daughters of God. And the other day when we were reading, we came across this line. And this is too good to skip over. And so, thank you, Anthony, for just stealing yourself and holding that slide on the screen. I want to put sons in this little quotation. Would you, would you take, a look at it, t- take a look at it there on the screen? The author writes, things will go wrong with everyone. Let me ask you something. Do things go wrong in your life? Come on, be honest. Do, hey, things go wrong with me all the time. Don't they? You too. Things will go wrong with everyone. Sadness and discouragement press every soul. Then a personal presence. Somebody shows up. A friend who will comfort and impart strength will turn back the darts of the enemy that are aimed to destroy. Christian friends are not half as plentiful as they should be. In hours of temptation, in a crisis, what a value is a true friend. 
Oh, such help is worth more than precious pearls. Hey, guys, I have never owned a pearl in my life, but I want you to know I want friends bad. I want to have a friend. Don't you? Yeah. Oh, if you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if His love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Three of them. You take the one that works for you. Number one, we need front porch breaks. Number two, we need front porch friends around here. And finally, number three, we need front porch groups around here. Circles, of, small circles of men, women, and young adults who are committed to this, this Pauline passion to develop and grow deep-spirited friendships. We need them around here. In fact, you think about it. The early church, in the book of Acts, there is no question the secret to their explosive growth was their front porch communities. Let me, let me put it on the screen for you. Acts chapter 2. Take a look at this. Verses 46 and 47. So continuing daily with one accord, describing the infant church, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. You can go ahead and read that from front porch to front porch because they were socializing. They were going from house to house and sharing food. Breaking bread from front porch to front porch. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. You think about it. The front porch of community is what led that early church to have such a dramatic impact with, with the pagan society. You know what the pagans were saying? See how these Christians love one another. Wow! Front porch communities. That was the secret of the early church. Now, I've got two little bits of good news to pass on to you. Number one, you need to know there's a, there is a front porch small group somewhere in this university or community that is just perfect for you. I'm not going to talk about it now. We'll deal with it next Sabbath. But I do want to draw your attention because this is in your bulletin. See this little purple piece of paper? Our leadership team for our small groups ministry put this together. You can take it home. There's a code word to get into the website. It shows the different groups. I wish you would just kind of feel a bit risky. And check out this website. Andrews University. Uh, small groups that are beginning to form. That's all I want to say about it. But if you'd like to be open to a front porch small community, I'll just bet you there's one here ready for you. Maybe you'll be the one to get one going. I don't know. So hang on to this. Don't throw it away when you leave. Take this little purple piece of paper home. It has the code word on it. And you just, just move into that site. But here's the other bit of, I think it's good news. And you need to hear this. And that is, you don't have to join a small group in order to experience community and belonging. I got that from reading uh, Joseph Meyer's book, The Search to Belong. And I must tell you that when I read that, there was just kind of like this, 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 almost an audible... Because I know sometimes when I deal with a subject, and maybe when you've, when, when you've read other literature, it's almost suggesting that if you're not a part of a small group, my man, A, you're not a good Christian, and B, you don't know the meaning of community, and C, what's the matter with your sense of belonging? You almost feel guilty for not joining a small group. But Meyer says, no, 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 no. The, the, what, what every human shares is this need to belong. We've got four different spaces. We'll talk about that next week. Four different spaces where we can find that need fulfilled. Not everybody has to join a small group to belong, but I need to quickly say, 
If you're working with a little stereotype of what a small group is, I want you to just abandon that for a few days. I hope to reshape that. Because it may be that for you, the very kind of belonging you're hungry for can only come through a front porch small community. So hang on to that purple piece of paper. There they are, three of them, ladies and gentlemen. Number one, we need small... We need, we need front porch breaks around here. Number two, we need front porch friends around here. Number three, we need front porch groups around here. Because you know why? We need Jesus. That's it. I mean, you think about it. All three of these suggestions really center down in the Lord Jesus Himself. Because who would you rather have for a front porch break than the one who says, Come to me. Hey, hey, are you heavy? Are you, are you worn out and the year hasn't even started yet? Come to me. I'll give you rest. He's the perfect front porch break that you and I need. Who better to have as a front porch friend than Jesus Himself, who when He looks into our faces before He goes up to Calvary, He says, hey, by the way, guys, I need you to know, I have called you friends. I mean, who, who better to have in a front porch small group than the same Jesus who said, where two or three of you get together in My name, I'm there. Ladies and gentlemen, it all centers on Jesus. Which is why Paul, after he makes this impassioned appeal for community, the very next verse, verse 5, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Because you see, when you have the mind of Christ, I kind of like to read that, when you have the heart of Christ, you are in search just like Jesus for another front porch. Hey, listen, I don't know a lot You're a lot brighter than I am. But this much I know. Sooner or later, if you follow Jesus, sooner or later you are going to end up on the front porch. And when I think about all of us, it occurs to me that sooner would be a whole lot better.